I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Hello and welcome back to Sick of Health. I'm joined, as usual, by Dr. David Wright and Rob Littlewood. Hello. Good evening, everyone. How are we, chaps? I'm doing very well tonight. Very well, thank you. We are also joined, of course, by our sound man, expert and all-round legend, Chris Tung from Dead Ready Productions. Give it Shout up. Shout out to Chris. He obviously can't reply. I left his space for him to reply there. He also yeah. can't reply. But <laughs> he says... Hello, listeners. <laughs> yeah, you waved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I should point out, um, I still asked how you were, but we are recording this episode back to back with the previous episode. Um, the main reason I point that out is because obviously the last episode, we implored you to email in to team at sickofhealth.co.uk and promised that the emails that come in, we will shout out. Now, you'll notice we're not shouting out any emails because... They haven't come in yet. What did you check in the last five minutes? We might have had a couple. Well, we haven't put the other one out yet. So. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's how good this start, works. Good start, good start. <laughs> <laughs> you can see I'm not involved in the production yeah, side. You, you realise I had to edit it. And then <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not but live. <laughs> in the absence of feedback, as I like to do, I like to hark back to a previous episode. Um, the one in question um, was one of our favourite characters from the past. Any guesses? Favourite characters from the past? Oh, I've got so many. There's one standout though. Joy. Oh, Joy. Joy. Yeah. Joy Mill. Now, since we recorded that episode, so to remind the, view the viewers, the listeners. Smelly Joy. Smelly <laughs> Joy. She is a woman who can smell Parkinson's, was the gist of the episode. Yeah. Now, since then, so she's been defined as a super smeller, super sniffer. Before it's, Legit. Before it's manifested, by the way. Yeah, yes. not as if yeah, she, yeah. she's like, you're shuddering, but you also smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she does it well before. I just want to clarify that. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, so she's a super sniffer. Um, and so she's been working with Manchester University to like smell different things and try and identify them, et cetera, et cetera. So I found this article the other day. Um, and it's, I can't remember, I'm just going to scroll to the title. What does disease smell like? Which obviously caught my attention. It was related to joy. Um, and so she's, as part of this article, she's now kind of worked out the smells of five different diseases. What? Which is pretty class. Yeah. Yeah. Girls making headlines. <laughs> Legend. From what was, was she from Aberdeen, was that it? She was from Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Some tiny settlement. I mean, Aberdeen's not a tiny settlement, but it was some rural settlement. Tiny settlement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's have a look at that. Yeah. Some rural, <laughs> somewhere in northern Scotland. So, um, do you remember what the smell was for Parkinson's? No, oh, sorry. musty. Yeah, musty. Um, it was to do with the sebum or something, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the names of these other diseases. <laughs> you can guess the smell. <laughs> oh, this is so, a dangerous game. So we've got... It was so much easier if you did it the other way around. If okay. you gave us the smell okay. and then... Okay. Actually, no, it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many diseases okay, do you yeah. know? <laughs> no, just realised. No, we're doing diseases first. <laughs> okay, yeah. diseases first. Um, so, um, fresh in our memory, Alzheimer's disease. Oh, this is... The, yeah. Grapes. I'm going to go for... No, I like that. Like a, I'm thinking old, woody undertone or something. Rye bread. Rye bread. <laughs> 
Literally. <laughs> Thanks for that one. Tuberculosis. Grapes. <laughs> I'm just thinking literally like phlegm um, or like... Stale beer. So there's a bready influence. Yeah. For those two. Yeah. Oh, this, right. this will shake things up a bit. Diabetes. Think of the court. Think of, you know... What's diabetes all <laughs> about? <Aid>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm going to give that to you because there's definitely a citrus and pineapple flavour of ah, Lucozade. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Citrus and pineapple. It actually says here, uh, the combination of citrus and creamy pineapple. I'm not sure what creamy What's pineapple creamy is. creamy pineapple? Is, and then the last one, cancer. You'd imagine it's not a pleasant smell. It's grapes. Rob's face lit up. Uh, no, it's uh, fungus, type of fungus. Okay. So, so not really pleasant. No. No. Um, so, well, that was fun. Good yeah. game. Good, nice little start, and thanks, Joy. Good luck. Keep up the good work. Keep sniffing. Um, <laughs> keep sniffing. Yeah. No, seriously, she's a hero. She's doing some good work. So, that aside, unless anyone has anything else they want to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no news. When have we ever done this before? New Improv. Okay, let's crack on then with the topic at hand. So, this one, um, a kind of a fascinating one from many angles and something I think you will have heard of. Um, we're going to focus on the opioid crisis. Cool. Stuff you've seen in the news. Yeah, interesting. Any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, huge in the US, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Massive yeah. in the US. There's obviously that court case going on at the moment with that um, aristocratic family that owns the big pharma nice. company. Nice. Nice. Um, nice. And yeah, they're, they, they, yeah, and they fund the arts foundation. That was the episode already. This, yeah, you're smashing this. Sorry, yeah. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, quite, quite literally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's a rock and hard place for them, isn't it? And they were recently removed as donors from the VNA. Nice. Yeah, that is, that is superb knowledge. Yeah. We'll give you that. And Cutting we will it. revisit some of that later, yeah. definitely. But to kick us off, we'll go, I mean, I'll hit you with, as you said correctly, the US is where the crisis started yeah. and where mm. it's been a massive problem. So just some of the headline stats, as it were. Um, so in the US, 130 people die every day from opioid overdose. America's a big place, but... That's a big number. Sure. Um, more people in the US die of opioid overdose than motor vehicle accidents. I think that really puts it in perspective because yeah. that's one of the biggest killers. Mm -hmm. um, and last one, and this one is mad, uh, in the last two years it's contributed to a reduction in life expectancy. That's obviously across the population. Yeah. Um, so essentially, take home message, it is a crisis. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's one, more than confirmed. one person, a state. A day, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah double, yeah. double. Yeah, yeah. Two people to say, I suppose. And then times 130 by 365. Ooh, also, kind of. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you think about it like that, it's quite. It's mad. Yeah. It's mad. Um, but interestingly, David, I know you've seen it's a problem. It's starting to become a problem in the UK as well, right? Yeah, so it's coming over here. So the first kind of signs of it being an issue in the US were over prescriptions of um, opioid drugs. And that started to happen in the UK. So there's been over a 60% rise over the last decade in prescriptions of opioids uh, in the UK. And it normally uh, what happened in the US was it started with an overprescription. And then when people couldn't get their fix from um, the prescription drugs or 
uh, yeah, the pharmacies wouldn't supply it to them anymore. They would turn to the black market and an illegal production of them. So we're thinking that this could be the first stage of it coming over here. And so the codeine-related deaths have doubled. Codeine's an opioid. And now, Is it? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. God. And um, so th now the UK are kind of aware that this is happening. Obviously, you can't avoid the American problem, and you're getting the first warning signs here. So they've decided to soon start putting warning signs like they do on cigarette packets, but on opioid uh, drug medications. Because, yeah, not everyone knows codeine yeah. is an opioid. So it'll be on there just saying there's a risk of addiction here. So be careful about it. What I understand about this bit, it does say it can cause addiction, though. It does say don't use for more than three days. I suppose that's not intense enough, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, I'm not sure on the yeah. exact changing, but it's now becoming mandatory on all of them, and maybe there's a kind of set, stricter wording on there. Mm. In terms of the, for me, this bit, in terms of the prescriptions, what is a bigger deterrent than seeing the crisis in America? You said increased by 60% over the last decade. Mm -hmm. Surely, in that time, you've seen the crisis of crime yeah. in, in 1996. I'm not sure that people have, though. I'm not sure people have seen that. This is quite, I'd say this is pretty recent news. Like in, within the last year or two, you know, and I would also I wouldn't associate yeah. that with with prescription drugs. Like, yeah, again, they've come back to the code. I'd actually I agree. No with that. I'm only yeah. it's because I've read this and I know that it's essentially started in 1966. But I agree, I wasn't yeah. aware. No, no I was idea. Old not to be aware of it then, but yeah, still, yeah, yeah that's fair. That's and it also seems quite detached because it's in America, and you just think, you know, they kind of yeah, you just leave them to do their own thing. Do your thing, America. They're in the pond. Anything goes. No offence, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. fair. So, big problem. Uh, US definitely spreading, essentially. Um, but let's go with our usual little scientific update at the beginning and maybe a bit of a history lesson I think we have in store. <laughs> yeah, oh, branching out now. Oh, yeah. Historian and a scientist. Yeah. Hit me. So this is um, yeah, talking about how the kind of opioid crisis came about. So opioids have been uh, around for a long time. They're derived from poppies. Yeah. So it was known since around 3000 BC that uh, you could extract uh, something from a poppy and use it for medicinal use. So it's been around for a very, very long time. And then morphine itself was isolated from opium in 1806. So then it started kind of getting used a little bit more. But it wasn't until it really kicked off when the hypodermic needle was invented in the mid-19th century, in the 1850s. And then it started getting used all over the place. So it's kind of started being used for all kinds of ailments because obviously it's pretty good pain relief and you get the kind of uh, endorphin kick from yeah, it too. Yeah. So anything that kind of came about, like if you had a little bit of diarrhea, doctor would give you is the, is the pain relief. And this may be a stupid question for me, but the endorphin release I associate with like happy feeling, like post-exercise endorphin relief. Yeah. Is that related to the pain relief? No, so they're different. They are different pathways. Yeah. So if you have, so this is kind of coming into it, we're going to talk about it in a bit, but a lot of the belief was that you wouldn't have the addictive um, properties, you wouldn't have the endorphin kick if you are in deep pain. So it was considered a safe medicine for a long time, oh. so long as it was used in the right circumstance. Right, got you, got you, got you. So it was used for everything. Heroin would stop diarrhea, though, wouldn't it? Because heroin yeah. addicts really struggle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, there was sense to it, but they were just kind of like, yeah. just, just. It works now, but you yeah. would, if you took a massive hit of heroin and you would like solve your diarrhea, 
but you would also get the endorphin kick too because it's not enough to kind of right. mask it. Okay, okay. So then you would, okay. you're more likely to become a junkie. Logical, I've got you. Yeah, so they'd use it for toothaches, diarrhea, things like that, where it does have benefit, but you know. You're getting the endorphin kick, which is the, the addictive aspect, too. which, okay. So then you started getting a lot of people addicted to it. So then there was just this kind of decision by the medical community and government to just say, no, we, we can't use it for all this. So then for a long time, in the early 20th century, uh, opium and opioids wasn't used at all for medical reasons. And then it kind of shifted back and thinking, right, we've got this great drug, we all know about it, and kind of cancer was becoming more of an issue because people were living a bit longer, and it was tried out and that, and it worked phenomenally well for helping cancer pain. And this is when this theory came in that actually if you use it in patients that are in a lot of pain, you're not going to have that same problem. And that yeah, was yeah. the general belief for a long time. So then it started getting used successfully in cancer pain and they thought okay it's working in this let's try it for chronic pain or acute pain where it's not in a kind of cancer setting and again it worked well for that but at that point you have the issue that the pain the reason the cause of the pain kind of goes so you don't have to have the opium or the opioid anymore the morphine so you have to have a good strategy to come off the medication and that just wasn't in place all right okay so then people so the would pain, keep... the pain's gone, yeah. but you're still taking the medication. Yeah, so if, and if you keep and taking it... addictive. Yeah. You have a reliance on it as well. Yeah, by that yeah. Point, so yeah. by that point, you build up some, a tolerance to it, so you need yeah. to take more and more, and when you have the tolerance, then you get a dependence, and then if you... A dependence is when, if you don't take the drug, you start getting withdrawal symptoms, and that's when you get into addiction, because you need to keep taking it to keep on a normal level. So at that point, that's when the kind of opioid crisis right. started kicking off. And you've got some here with you today for us to try. Surprise. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't. Uh, so yeah, and yeah, uh, well, so there's natural ones. So opiates are from the poppy, and the main ones are morphine and codeine, so they're both naturally occurring from the poppies. You get semi-synthetic ones, which are uh, man-made but derived off those chemicals and that's oxycodone, oxycodone and heroin and then fully synthetic ones are fentanyl, methadone and tramadol. Oxycontin. Yeah. That's the name of it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's where we're going the man's to. man's on fire! Yeah. I Honestly, this coding thing's blowing my mind. I literally have like sulpidine painkiller tablets at work that are, it's like caffeine, paracetamol and codeine. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for using that now no well this is another thing you shouldn't feel bad for using them when there's a use for using them mm -hmm. it's just when you start using them for no reason at all yes right can start becoming a problem. but wait i'm sure there's a bit of a blurred line right between the yeah. two yes yeah. really feeling really bad on tuesday <laughs> 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 okay so i mean thank you david yes Pleasure. thank you thank you indeed <laughs> dr david that was a wonderful very in really enjoyable yeah. update um so we, we kind of touched on the beginning about the obvious impacts in terms of deaths of the addicted individual, I guess. I want to touch slightly on kind of the effects of welfare more generally. Uh, any thoughts on any of the wider impacts of the crisis? In of the crisis? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that most people would be widely in agreement that heroin is the most destructive drug. And I based on the opioid epidemic that you know, there have been documentaries about it. It's been, I'd say, pretty widely covered in the yeah, yeah. in the papers. It'd be fair to assume that opioids fall under that bracket, as, fall within that bracket as well. 
because it's the thing about it, I guess, is you have that addiction which can lead to the obvious thing is addiction, overdose, death. Mm-hmm. But the the life of an addict and the effects it has are pretty widespread. Right. Okay. Some of the key ones down here, uh, unemployment. Yeah. Is one. There's this thing here that says um, showed that among prime age white men who are out of the labour force, so unemployed, yeah. over 50% report taking prescription opioids. What? Daily? Yeah. That's yeah. a huge number. Yeah. I know that heroin is kind of, you know, if you're a down and out, you're associated with that. You know, yeah, scag yeah. and train yeah. spotting and all that. But over 50%. And you've got, that's uh, all opioids. So it could be, I mean... Codeine. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily saying they are a heroin addict, but... The yeah, sure. still staggering. Yeah, of course. We then got another one, child welfare. This is one of the really sad aspects of it. Yeah. I think you mentioned train spotting, yeah. which kind of it comes yeah. up in that film pretty horrifically. Yeah, very dark. Yeah. Um, there's one example from Vermont here that 2015, more than half of the children under the age of six who entered foster care uh, had parents who abused opioids. And that's a specific mm. example, but... Yeah, scary. It, it, shows the problem they've got over in the US and one of the other things is, is uh, child welfare, foster care, the ideal is to get them back with their parent and apparently when it's an opioid abuse that never tends to happen. Yeah, sure. Um, another interesting one is pregnant women. Right. Um, a lot of, well, I say a lot of, obviously if you're a woman and you're pregnant there's lots of things Impact, you need to avoid yeah. because it will affect mm. your child. Opioids, Probably, yeah. Probably not a good one. <laughs> if mm. booze is one, it's probably going to be one. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And they said, um, a little stat here, from 1992 to 2012, hospital admissions of pregnant women reporting prescription opioid abuse increased from 2 to 28%. Mm. That's Up to a third. Yeah, that's a big increase. They are mad. It's a crisis. Yeah. They are mad stats. Uh, another one which you don't always tend to think about, but infectious diseases. Obviously, needle culture, mm. sharing of needles, the spreads of HIV, hepatitis C, that kind of thing. Um, Slightly more in depth than uh, my attempt at an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I had the benefit of yeah. the internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> days of research on the internet. I just uh, <laughs> stroked the surface there. James going to fall in. And then <laughs> cost is obviously another one. So. Um, I mean, this is just ridiculous. This is ridiculous. The total cost of opioid crisis estimated economic burden in 2015 was 504 billion. <laughs> How do you even yeah, I know. process that I number? Know. <laughs> I didn't really want to put it in because it's just too ridiculous, but that's the thing. Um, so those are all kind of other effects. And then we came across one really interesting story of a kind of, I guess, another effect outside the individual that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So I'll go with this story, and it's these two, um, it was down, It was in Texas, small little town, and there are these two, they call them EN, EMTs, they're essentially paramedics. Um, two guys called Jay and Scotty, and as had quite routine in America, they got called out. It's obviously been reported in as an overdose. Um, and they were saying they went into this house, there's this bloke lying slumped up uh, against the wall, been pulled up against the wall, he's in like three inches of water because the person's tried to you know, little dishwasher sprayers, tried oh, yeah. to try and revive them with the dishwasher sprayer and hit them and tried to revive them, couldn't do anything. They kind of, I mean, they're pretty much like it's probably an overdose, but you know, check the pupils, pinpoint pupils, the symptoms, everything's adding up. Um, and then uh, there is like a, 
I mean, kind of miracle cure, naloxone. Yeah, naloxone, yeah, yeah. Where you, it's you give it to them, inject it in the nostrils, right? Oh, I don't know. How it's I'm pretty. I'm pretty. In this story, anyway, it was definitely yeah. um, it, like a nasal spray, mm. and it instantly reverses the effects of the drug, wow. brings you out that overdose. It's it's miraculous. Um, so they give it to this guy. He kind of comes out of the overdose, but then they they always routinely will take them to hospital anyway. And then the story goes that this bloke is, so Scott is in the front driving and he's driving and he says, he starts getting this really weird feeling. Um, and he describes it as, he describes it as chewing on metal. And he's like, what is going on? So he pulls over, shouts to Jay in the back of the van. Um, and by the time Jay got up to the front, he's passed out. And Jay, as he says it in the stories, he's like, he had the same symptoms as the addict that they've just picked up, so there's pinpoint eyes and all the other stuff that goes it comes along with it, um, which is pretty nuts, right? And the theory, that stage anyway, was that basically, so we've talked about uh, oxycytin, well, we talked about obviously heroin, oxycytin, mm. which is uh, kind of the man-made ones, and it progresses further, and this is one called fentanyl. Fentanyl, fentanyl. yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, which is like 15 times stronger than Heroin, right? More than that. Really? A hundred to a thousand. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, but oh my it's, God. Yeah. it's strong. Yeah. And the, the theory is here that when he's giving this uh, naloxone, he's come into skin contact with him and it can be, or well, the theory is it can be transmitted through the skin, this, <laughs> this drug. Wow. And so then driving to the hospital, it's then had this effect on him, which is crazy. Yeah, that's and then absolutely insane. This, uh, when these stories started breaking, all anecdotal stories, obviously, but they start breaking. And then there were reports at the time. I've got the list here. There was North Carolina, Florida, West Virginia, Vermont, Nebraska. That one was in Texas. California, Massachusetts, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Hampshire. Over like 100 reported incidents of this same thing happening. Which... Just from skin contact. And yeah, yeah, which is mental. But I mean, I don't know, thoughts on that? It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's incredible. I have no idea that fentanyl is that much stronger. I mean, they do. They have. Um, they do have fentanyl patches, don't they? Mm-hmm. You can administer it through patches on your skin. Right. Yeah. Um, so it can be transmitted through the skin. Um, but a nuts story. Any thoughts on the kind of if you were in that position, what you'd do? If you um, had it, you'd get the call out. Put some gloves on. <laughs> Sensible. <laughs> can you tell me more about fentanyl? So, so is this? Is this illegal? Is it prescription? Is it illegal? It's not used. It's illegal. Um, so it's black market. Yeah, I don't think it's used for any medicinal purpose. Okay, okay. I thought it was. I thought those fentanyl patches, like the army used them and stuff. Oh, possibly for pain relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they okay. do. I think they are used. So definitely those patches. But generally speaking, it's black market substance. It gets cut into it. heroin very often to kind of spice it up. It's called the, the third, the third stage of the crisis. Yeah, this crisis, right? They strongest start, start out with there, these I pills, see. the oxycytin yeah. pills, which we'll get onto. And this is what Dave was talking about earlier. And then it went into heroin, so it was cheaper. And then as heroin, heroin became more expensive. This fentanyl thing arrived and right. became cheaper, and they start cutting it. It's cutting heroin with fentanyl. Yeah, right. And people don't necessarily realise. So obviously yeah. overdoses increase, and then this so skin a lot of death from thing. It. Absolutely nuts, but. Yeah. That's te- I, you would be terrified, wouldn't you? I'd be, yeah, absolutely. Ter- yeah. 
just hearing the stories, I think you'd be terrified. But as it turned out, we they researched it and yeah, it's all just a load of rubbish. <laughs> 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 so this it's true. It can transfer through your skin, um, but these patches use very kind of special oils and uh, things, that, and they have a, quite a lot, and it goes over a very long amount of time. So you wouldn't just get it. If you put some, if you put a whole whole load on my arm right now, I could walk around probably all day and not feel anything. What was it? Wasn't there a stack so, yeah, of patches? Yeah. So they modelled it and said if you covered your whole body head to toe with these fentanyl patches, it would take you 14 minutes before you felt any effect at all, and not even kind of chewing metal. Yeah, just yeah, any yeah. kind of so sign of an effect. What the hell are they on about? Imagine just seeing someone at Wilderness covered in fentanyl patches. <laughs> yeah. <their> rock. <laughs> Give me 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to be sky high. <laughs> so yeah, all these kind of stories, they looked at them in detail and none of them really were consistent with uh, opioid overdose at all. So they, it's just one of those cases where things kind of get brought up into a big media storm yeah. and people get very worried about it and kind of hearsay perpetuates it and it's placebo. not anything. Literally, yeah, placebo to the max kind of thing. Wow. It, it's, it can only be, I mean, the original ones, who knows? Yeah, it's probably but. not placebo, they might have, if you're walking around possibly a junkie's house. Landed on his needle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there are probably other <laughs> dangers around. But then the story gets out, puts these doubts in people's mind, then the placebo effect kicks in, it, it's a bit nuts. Yeah. But let's get back on track. That was a slight side note. Interesting, mm. a cool one though. Yeah. Um, so the point we wanted to get back to was, so we've got this crisis. Okay, this is an addictive substance. So by nature, it could become a crisis, but there's got to be more to it than that, right? It's mm. not readily available. You're not you're pushing it out to people. Well, you are pushing it out to people, but there's more to it than just it being addictive. And that comes back to what you brought up at the beginning, right. the Sackler controversy. So it's this it's the one we mentioned, Ox, Oxycontin. And they, they, this Sackler family own Purdue Pharma, so yeah. a pharma company, um, who make Oxycontin. And pretty much their whole um, revenues basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and this is what we got here. The drug became a blockbuster, has, has reportedly generated $35 billion for this company, which is outrageous. Mm -hmm. um, and they also kind of they own a few other companies and stuff, but essentially they bought this drug to market and then it's come out now that essentially, I mean, we've got a quote here that if you look at the prescribing trends for all different opioids, and I said this at the beginning, it's in 1966, the prescribing really kicks off. Um, and it says here that this is not a coincidence. That was the year that Purdue Pharma launched a multi multifaceted marketing campaign that misinformed the medical community about the risks. Mm. So essentially, the point that we've got the perfect storm kind of idea where you've got this really addictive substance and then you've got this big pharma company launching a massive marketing campaign. And the messages they were putting forward was that OxyContin was a kind of slower release formulation, therefore it's a lot safer. So in theory, it makes sense and they probably got a lot of buy-in from different people. But to the, I imagine that they weren't, um, well, they knew certainly themselves that they weren't fully honest because they were completely downplaying the actual data that they yeah, had on yeah, this drug. Yeah. So even though it was slower releasing, it was still not very safe and they were kind of overselling its benefits to um, to disastrous extent. To the extent that we've talked about. I guess the, the cool angle of the story, which again you touched on at the beginning, 
is that the money, a lot of the money that these guys make, they put towards good causes, right? So I think there was one mm. you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, I know that, yeah, they're famous philanthropists and also, you know, the, the V&A. V&A so was one. Art, lots of art. And you've yeah. got a list of loads of others. Yeah, well, they're, they're very good for the arts community. So I think, um, so yeah, since you, you said the V&A have stopped taking uh, money from them recently and yeah, the National Portrait Gallery, South London Gallery in Peckham, the Guggenheim Museum in New York, and then lots of universities, Columbia University as well, and the Tate, the New wow. York's Metropolitan Museum of Arts, and the Princeton Trust. So the all of the big ones, yeah. So all, of, all of those ones have now just said that they are no longer going to be accepting Sackler money anymore because of all of this. But there are still loads and loads of different institutions mm. that have taken their money before and haven't yet come forward and said we're no longer accepting them. So we don't know their position. It's but sweet, isn't it? Yeah, the other ones include the University of Oxford, the Globe Theatre, Royal College of Arts, Natural History Museum, the Royal Ballet School, the British Museum, the National Gallery. I mean, you name, try and name an arts institution in London and it's on the list. That is a Louvre, mad list. That's crazy. Jewish Museum in Berlin. How much money do these people have? A lot from exploitation. Yeah. yeah. So, so they were fully aware of the effects. They kept it quiet and they advertised it as being much more beneficial than it was yeah. in spite of the side effects they knew were. Yeah, not as dangerous, not as addictive. Mm. And there was, they've been found out. So I think you said at the beginning that they have now been um, taken to court over it mm. and they've settled and they had to settle to $650 million to the US Justice Department. So I don't think they've been sued in the UK over it. And so they've said, okay, I don't think it went fully through court. So yeah, they settled and they said, right, we'll pay this to kind of settle all these claims and we'll cut our sales team in half and we'll stop all our promotions for opioids. So it seems like they're kind of saying, okay, this is a mistake. We shouldn't have done this and we're willing to pay something back. But actually, there's a lot of um, reports going on that even though they've done that publicly, behind the scenes, they're still lobbying very, very hard and creating all these advocacy groups to kind of cut back. Or um, So the CDC is one of the institutions in America that sets up guidelines for how you deal with um, pain medication or doing any kind of drug treatment. So they've, they're aware of this problem now, so they're saying, all right, when you go onto these drugs, you need to taper off them pretty quickly. And they've set up all these new treatment guidelines. But Purdue Pharma and other pharmaceutical companies are lobbying very, very heavily against all this behind the scenes. So even though they've kind of now put up this public facing side, they're actually still, still doing it. Yeah, going very hard against it to drive profits. It's been PR'd pretty hard, have they? Yeah. 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 Advertising PR kinks. But I guess that, as you kind of mentioned there, these are the questions. So we're saying essentially the output is good all this phil philanthropy i can never say that <laughs> word all this good stuff <laughs> but the input is making people addicted to opioids and essentially causing death mm -hmm. how does that work is it justifiable yeah is that so. and it, it raises that dirty money question which is yeah there's a few, you know numerous examples of we were talking about the man city yeah i'm not a bitter liverpool fan at all but yeah. not winning yeah. the title but <laughs> also i was having this conversation with my brother the other day hsbc they built their, the foundations of the bank on funding the opium trade. Really? I mean, really? that's centuries ago. So, you know, 
it's not as if they're going to get called to account on that. No. Because it's probably legal then. But anyway, yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. fun it, fact. Yeah. The thing, like the ones we were, t we were talking about as well, where it's they're funding medical research. You don't want to yeah. stop that. If, if they come out and say, Oh, this sackle money. This sackle money's bad. We don't want it. Yeah. But okay, we can't do the research anymore. It's a giant ethical debate, isn't it? Yeah, that must be a horrible position for them to be in, because mm. you're not going to say no. I'm going to. You just can't accept it, though. Yeah, but I mean, I just don't see that. There's no way for you to justify. I, well, there is a way to try and justify it by being like, think about the good things that we can do with it. But it will always be tainted. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Do you As in, if I was in that situation yeah. where I knew... Uh, do you agree with what I'm saying? Yes, but if I know... Maybe I'm not an ethical person, but if one, it's my job, and two, we're doing medical research that's advancing... If it, if it was a piece of medical research that I truly believed was important, yeah, I'd carry on. But you could always get the money from elsewhere. I mean, it's not guaranteed at all, and you might lose staff. And same with if you're putting on like a uh, an exhibition you've been working on or collaborating on yeah, for yeah. years. I guess, I guess that's a fair point. If I truly believe that the work is important enough, I believe that I could get the money elsewhere. Yeah. In which case, maybe. There's a photographer, Nan Golden, who's kind of been taking up this course, and she's been uh, she set up or launched an organization called Pain Prescription Addiction Intervention Now. And she's doing exactly what you're talking about by kind of imploring all of these art institutions to just stop taking any mm. sackle money at all because it's immoral. And there's, and there's, it's, just, it's that black and white. But it's also that they haven't, like, that is pretty much purely how they've made their money. It's not as if it's like a small part of their yeah, fortune. Yeah. It's the I think it forms like 90% of they made the money I, yeah, something similar to that I seem to remember reading that, it was you know. crazy it's definitely the majority of their income mm. and then there's one other little bit which kind of just nail in the coffin of the whole thing isn't it but so the you've now created this opioid crisis so the pharmaceutical industry are now investing time and money in looking at ways to solve it with more drugs yeah, <laughs> That's so right, yeah so they're developing more drugs <laughs> to help in America by any chance <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's global, so uh, okay. yeah. How to kind of once you've got people addicted to opioids, they're now coming up <laughs> with got a pill to yeah, yeah. yeah, pill to take them off. For God's sake, they they have pill for everything in the it's US. Ridiculous. That's the reason I suggested that, but that's crazy. Sorry, David, carry on. Yeah, no, that's it. There's, there's um the kind of irony full circle. They're, yeah, they're we've created a problem, and now we're going to make some more money by solving the problem. Who's funding yeah. the Who's funding the solutions? Do we know? Yeah, no, I'm not sure. And the company's doing it, but I mean, because I mean, it's the same debate with the naloxone. Yeah, because that's as they also make their money based on 100 yeah. the success of yeah oxycontin and fentanyl. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, the yeah. more yeah that the company who makes naloxone. You, I mean, we, they're probably a wonderful, like, they're probably we're wonderful people, wonderful but. company, but they're looking at the opioid crisis going. We're cashing in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we shouldn't jump to that kind of conclusion, but it's a good no. point. Do we know what the US is doing to counter it? And do we know how the UK is dealing with these um, telltale signs of potential future addiction? So the main thing that they're doing at the moment is that kind of label warning and trying to train up doctors on how to uh, de-prescribe. So it's kind of mm. everyone's very well trained in the medical community to 
uh, find, diagnose different diseases and work out what treatments they should be on. But it's a kind of, well, it's not new, but it's a kind of emerging more importance at the moment, the whole kind of de-prescription side of things. And it's particularly important in this. So, yeah, the UK especially is kind of taking on this uh, warning sign label, making everyone aware of it. And if you see it, okay, what do we do about it? Just mm. get some clear guidelines in place. Which that at least seems like a much more kind of wholesome approach to than create a drug to solve it. You know, you're cutting, oh, I mean, trying to give less of the drug that's causing the yeah, problem. That's just lazy. Yeah, yeah. I, d I did read that apparently some, was it Norway? One Scandinavian country has like, again, classic progressive Scandinavia. They have a heroin clinic where heroin addicts can go to receive their like clean mm -hmm. heroin and it tapers it tapes mm. them down to help them get they do off. it in um canada as well yeah. do they like, in canada yeah i've seen that yeah um i think it's covered in the louis through opioid crisis documentary louis through did an opioid crisis doctor yeah. yeah it is very good not quite yeah. as good as this podcast obviously no but yeah listen to this first <laughs> yeah, yeah we yeah, almost had him on as a guest <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was the special <laughs> yeah that was a special <laughs> guest <laughs> right lads i think that has been fascinating but i think it's also we'll flipping hot in here yeah yeah it's sweaty we'll leave it there that was truly a joy. Uh, Will, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining, lads. And we'll mm -hmm. see you soon. Sick, so sick, so sick of health.